Well, good morning, Bay Life Church. Hey, my name is Shane Drury. I am blessed to be the high school pastor here at Bay Life Church. And uh, Pastor Mark is out of town uh, this weekend, so I'm blessed to have the opportunity to share the word of God with you this morning. All right, let's pray together, and then we're going to jump into the word of God. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we pause uh, just for a moment to acknowledge, Lord, that you are here. Uh, you are with us. You promise us that in your word. And we take a, a moment to pause, Lord, to acknowledge your greatness, your, your goodness, um, your grace, your mercy, um, your power. And Lord, we say thank you. We praise you. We praise you and thank you for, for meeting us here and for making the way for us to be reconciled to you through the death and resurrection of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we pray as we uh, look to your word here, uh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to even grow in our knowledge and understanding of how great you are. And Lord, may we be transformed by that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, this morning, I want to tell you about the smallest and largest human I have ever met. All right? The smallest human I have ever met is my daughter. She's now six years old. Her name is Liren. All right? My wife and I are blessed with, with four children. Our oldest is eight. His name's Silas. Uh, we have twins that are six, which is Simeon and my daughter, Liren. And then we have a four-year-old boy named Blaze. Uh, our first son, Silas, when he was born, he's eight now, like I said, but when he was born, he was a pretty big baby. Uh, he was eight pounds, 11 ounces, all right? Uh, so pretty big boy. But then our twins came along, and probably as most of you know, uh, generally twins are smaller than average. And Liren was even smaller than the average twin. She was so small, I was, I was honestly kind of scared to, to pick her up. Uh, I thought that I might break her. Um, she was just so tiny. Her little arms and her little legs uh, were like toothpicks. We actually have a picture of our twins just a day or so after they were born. Um, here they are. You can see, obviously, she's on the left here. You can tell how much smaller she is uh, than our, our little boy. She was, she was just a tiny little thing, uh, right at about five pounds um, and uh, 16 or so inches long. Now, the largest human I ever met um, happened, took place in Chicago at O'Hare Airport. All right, I was, I was getting ready to fly out to, uh, to Oklahoma to speak at a youth retreat. I was kind of sitting in my terminal waiting for my plane. And this guy got off his plane. He's on his cell phone. He sits down next to me, and he's, he's talking to someone. And he says, oh, you're never going to guess who was, uh, who was just on my plane. Shaquille O'Neal, right? And I'm like, oh, why does this never happen to me? I'm a huge basketball junkie. And right as he says that, I look up. And there, walking down the center aisle of the airport, is the largest human being known to man, right? 
Now, sometimes, like, you see someone and you kind of wonder, like, is this this famous person, right? Like, you may see someone at an airport and you'd be like, hmm, is that Tom Cruise? I don't know. When you see Shaq, you don't say, is that Shaq, right? You know it's Shaq. So right away, I knew it was him, and I packed up all of my stuff, my bag, and grabbed my suitcase. I was not going to miss this opportunity to meet Shaquille O'Neal. And so he's walking down the airport, and I'm kind of walking fast, catching up to him, trying not to alert like airport security or anything, you know, in the process. And so in my mind, I developed this plan. I'm going to walk past him, and I'm going to get kind of uh, pretty far ahead of him, and then I'm going to try to kind of like sneakily turn around and walk back towards him so I can stop him and meet him. And so that's what I do. I walk past him. Um, I, I turn around. I start walking back towards him. And uh, he could tell, I think, that I was going to come up to him and approach him and, and talk to him. So he kind of stopped. And uh, as I got close to him, um, if you've ever heard Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal uh, talk, he's got a really uh, deep, kind of raspy voice. And I walk uh, right up to him. I've got this big smile on my face. And he kind of looks down at me and he says, what's up, man? And he just looks at me. And I've got this big smile on my face, and this is probably what I sounded like to him. Hey, Mr. Shaquille O'Neal, right? And I look up at him, and I got this big glowing smile on my face. And I just say something to him like, man, you're one of the best big men to, to ever play the game. And he looks down and says, thanks, man. And then for some reason, I, like, go to hit him on the arm, but his arm and shoulder's, like, so high, right? Like, awkwardly hit him on the forearm. I say, have a good day, and I, and I walk away right? It was this awkward kind of encounter, but I wanted to get a picture of him, of course, you know, to document that it actually really happened and kind of have the memory. Unfortunately, it was pre-iPhone era for me, so I kind of had this, this smaller, uh, older phone that didn't take very good pictures, and uh, this is the picture I got. Check it out. <laughs> yeah, not the best quality there. You can obviously tell that is a large human being. That is Shaquille O'Neal. Um, Liren, five pounds, a um, little less than 17 inches. Shaquille O'Neal, 400 pounds, over seven feet tall, right? Today, however, we are going to consider one so great that he cannot even be measured. And that is our Almighty God. See, there's, there's a vast difference between us and, and God. There's a, a vast difference between us and God established by the fact that we can be measured and that he cannot. God is infinite. God is limitless. God defies measurement of any type in his being and in his attributes. Um, his attributes, his love, his knowledge, his power, they are infinite. They are unlimited. Uh, they are so great, we cannot even measure them. However, we as humans, um, we can grow in our knowledge and understanding of his greatness. We can grow in our knowledge and understanding of his attributes, um, which is what we're going to try to do today as we turn to the word of God. Now, here's why I think it's so important uh, that we hear this. Because as uh, A.W. Tozer says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's huge. That's profound. Did you catch that? What comes to our mind 
what comes to our mind when we think about God. That is the most important thing about us. Because here's the deal. The greater we believe our God to be, the greater our worship of him will be. The greater our trust in him will be. The greater our hope in him will be. The greater our surrender will be to him. As our understanding of the of our great, uh, as our understanding of the greatness of God grows, so will grow our faith in Him, our hope in Him, our trust in Him. Uh, let me give you an example of how that even works just in regular human life. So, um, a few years ago, I decided I was uh, going to try to take up the game of golf. I hadn't really played much in my life at all. All right, uh, decent athlete, uh, fairly good at, at most sports. And so I thought, how hard could golf be, right? So I bought some clubs. Um, I bought some kind of accessories, what you need for golf, right? Um, I'm a left-hander. I'm a lefty here. You can see this is my driver. And I went out and I started to play golf. And here's the thing. I'm terrible, all right? I was terrible. And the crazy thing was the harder I tried and the more I played, the worse I became, all right? I mean, I was dangerous. You know, usually when you play golf, you hit the ball right here on the face of the club, right? That's how it's made. That's how it works. Well, I was so bad, I actually started hitting the ball on top of the club, all right? I think you can kind of see that. There's this huge dent on the top of my driver. That's where I was hitting the ball. I mean, I was an absolute danger on the golf course, all right? Now, let me ask you this question. Let me ask you this question. Would you trust me to be your golf instructor? No, you all laugh, right? Why? Because I'm terrible. Of course you wouldn't trust me. Now, however, what if I were to bring in Jack Nicklaus? What if I were to bring in Tiger Woods? What if I were to bring in Phil Mickelson? Would you trust them to be your golf instructor? Why? Because they're great, right? Because they're great, and because you know how great they are, you would trust them. You would follow their instructions. The same is true with our God. The greater we know Him to be and believe Him to be, the more we will trust Him, the more we will follow Him. And so today, uh, we are going to turn to Isaiah chapter 40. And, And my hope and my prayer is that we will all grow in our knowledge and understanding of the greatness of our God today. And that we will therefore grow uh, in our trust of Him, in our hope in Him, in our worship of Him. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 40. We're going to look at several verses in there this morning. Uh, Before you uh, read any passage in the Bible, it's always good to get a little context to kind of know what's going on um, before uh, the passage you're looking at and, and to kind of get a big picture to help you understand the specific passage that you're looking at, especially in a book like Isaiah. And so what we know is the book of Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in approximately 700 B.C. Now we're going to jump in chapter 40 today. Um, in the first 39 chapters... God is largely communicating a message of judgment upon the Israelites through Isaiah because of their sin and because of their rebelliousness. But here in chapter 40, there's kind of a shift in focus. And what we see happening is God delivering this prophetic message through Isaiah um, 
to the Israelites who will one day be captured and exiled by the Babylonians. And so the message is primarily aimed um, at these Israelites uh, in the future who will be captured and exiled. However, the message certainly is meant to apply to Isaiah's contemporaries, uh, the present-day Israelites at this time, who are also facing some pretty difficult circumstances as they are in constant battle uh, with their neighbors, the Assyrians. And so there's no doubt um, that that both of these audiences, they're struggling. Life is hard. Um, They're growing faint. They're growing weary in the midst of these difficult circumstances. Um, they're heartbroken. Uh, they're, they're really struggling. Uh, so much so that, as we'll see, they're even beginning to wonder, God, do you even see us? Do you even see what's happening to us? And if you do, God, do you care? Do you care? And perhaps some of you uh, can relate to the Israelites and feel the same way yourself in a lot of ways. Perhaps you feel like you've been battling something in your life for a long time. Perhaps you feel even captured, in a sense, by some circumstance in your life. And it's been going on for a while, and you're growing faint. You're growing weary. You're struggling. You're, you're heartbroken. And you've even begun to ask the question, God, do you know? God, do you care? Well, thankfully um, for us and for the Israelites, God delivers a message of hope for us and for them in Isaiah chapter 40 by reminding us of his greatness and encouraging us to wait on him and trust in him. And so today, kind of our our first main point as we jump into our text, we're going to start in verse 9. This is kind of our our first main point. It's um, that we would behold our God. That we would behold our God and be in awe of Him. So, uh, turn with me to Isaiah 40, and we are going to start in verse 9. In verse 1 through 8, God has uh, kind of spoken some preliminary thoughts to Isaiah um, about their circumstances and how... um, He is coming. And then in verse 9, this is what he says to the prophet Isaiah. It says, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up. Fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold your God. And so he says, You who are messengers... Um, from Jerusalem, you who are messengers from Zion, go up uh, high on a mountain and say to the Israelites who are in distress, uh, declare to them the good news. Tell them to behold their God. And the word behold here, uh, it basically means to uh, look to. It means to gaze upon. It means to contemplate. And so here Isaiah is encouraging the Israelites, um, look to God, gaze upon him, contemplate his greatness. And then in verse 10, he begins to unpack the greatness of our mighty God. This is what he says at the beginning of verse 10. He says, behold, the Lord God comes with might. 
Behold, the Lord God comes with might. So he starts off again with behold. He says, to you who are in distress, contemplate this. The Lord God, he is coming and he comes with might. Uh, the word might here, it basically, basically means power. It basically means power. So he says, our God, he's coming with might. He's coming with power. And power is something that our God has an infinite supply of. There is no limit to his power. His power never increases. His power never decreases. It is immeasurable. And so basically what that means is God can do absolutely anything from small things to incredibly great things. And when he does them, he does not even lose an ounce of power. His power is limitless. It never increases. It never decreases. And so remarkably, what that means is it's just as easy for God to do one thing as it is for him to do anything else. And so it's just as easy for God to make a universe as it is for him to make a taco. All right? Everyone likes tacos, right? Yeah? Another example. It's just as easy for God to smash a bug as it is for him to smash Satan. It's true. That may surprise you. But I think it's very important that we have a biblical perspective of the power of God compared to the power of Satan. See, it's not like God and Satan are up in heaven trading blows like two heavyweight fighters, right? Like Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. And Satan is like biting off part of the ear of God. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not the picture at all. That's not the reality at all. We see in Job chapter 1 that Satan actually has to get permission from God to do anything, right? And we know, again, from the Word of God, that Satan is a created being. Created by who? That's right, created by God. And so Satan has no greater chance of defeating God than this little Plato figure that I created has a chance of defeating me, right? Satan has no greater chance of defeating God than this Plato figure that I've created has of defeating me. For God, it's, it's that easy, right? Behold the power of our God. And so how do we see the power of God displayed in our world? Well, one incredible way, I think, is through creation. We know from the word of God, again, in Genesis 1-1, right, that God created the heavens and the earth. Now think about this for a moment. Before God created the heavens and the earth, um, it was only he, right? There was no matter. There was no matter that existed. It was only God. And God in his greatness and in his power, simply by the power of his voice, and the power of his words, he spoke. He said, let there be. And everything that we now know and see came into existence simply by the power of his voice. It's incredible. Uh, theologians call this ex nihilo, which means that he created everything out of nothing. Should just blow us away. Um, Let's try it right now, all right? Everyone hold out your hand with nothing in it. Um, what's in your hand? 
Nothing, right? All right. In this moment right now with what's in your hand, try to create a tiger. Ready? Go. How's that working out for you? Not very well, right? It's, it's incredible. Uh, behold the power of our God. He created everything out of nothing. We also see his power displayed in our world uh, through nature. We see his power over death. Uh, we see his power to save souls and change lives through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Our God is a mighty God. He is coming with might. Regardless of what you're facing, behold your God. Behold his power. He's coming. He's coming with might. In the second half of verse 10, we learn more about our great God. He says, behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His arm rules for him. The word rules here, it basically means governs or controls. And so we see that not only is our God all-powerful, he is also sovereign. He's also in control of all things. He's in control of big things, and he's in control of little things. He's in control of the stars and the planets, and when they come out, and come out at night, as we'll see later on in our text. He's in control of the hearts of the rulers and the kings, as we see in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, that he controls the hearts of kings and directs them wherever he wants them to go. So he's in control of big things, but he's also in control of the smallest things. Uh, for example, uh, the, dust, the dust, particle, it, dust particles in the air. Have you all ever had this moment where you're sitting inside your house on a sunny day, and through the window, if you're kind of sitting at the right angle, there's this ray of sunlight coming through, right? And if you look at that ray of sunlight, you can see like all these dust particles kind of floating around in the ray of sunlight. And we first think to ourselves, man, I'm breathing that? <laughs> yes, yes, we are. We're, we're breathing that. But here's the incredible thing. is our great and sovereign God, not only does he know about each and every one of those dust particles that exist in that sun, sun ray, he also directs and controls each and every dust particle. Not only in that sun ray, but every dust particle that exists in our world, behold the power, the sovereignty, the control of our God. And not only do we see that God is powerful, that God is control, we see next in our text um, that he cares for us and that he blesses us. This is what it says in the second half of verse, of verse 10. He says, behold, Contemplate. His reward is with him. He's coming with might, and he's coming with blessing. That's basically what reward means there. And his, uh, rec and his, recomp his recompense is, that's a hard word to say, his recompense, there we go, is before him. He will meet our needs. And then in verse 11, he says, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And so our God, he, he is great and he is mighty, but he cares for us so deeply like a shepherd cares for his sheep. And he will gather us in his arms and he will carry us close to his bosom and he will lead us where 
we need to be. And he will do gently so. And so the great God who has created everything out of nothing, the great God who controls the stars and the planets, he cares for your heart as well. Behold our God. As we turn to verse 12 and kind of walk through the next uh, few verses, um, the prophet Isaiah uses what is called anthropomorphic language. There's your 50 cent word of the day. Anthropomorphic language. Basically what he is doing, what that means is um, Isaiah is ascribing human-like qualities to God to help us more fully understand him. See, what we know from the word of God is God doesn't have a physical body, right? The word of God says that God is spirit, that he is invisible. But here Isaiah, he, he assigns some human-like qualities to God to help us more fully understand his greatness. This is what he says in verse 12. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Who has, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Y'all learned in, in second grade, right? The earth is covered with two-thirds, the two-thirds of the earth's surface is covered in water. Um, the deepest part of the ocean is approximately seven miles. If we were uh, to calculate how many gallons of water exists on our earth, scientists ex estimate it at approximately 326 trillion gallons of water. Yet our great God can hold it all in the hollow of his hand, in the palm of his hand. He says, who has marked off the heavens with a span? Who has marked off the heavens with a span? A span is basically uh, the link between your thumb and your little finger. And so our God, is he's so great and he's so mighty that he can look at the stars and the planets trillions and trillions of miles apart. And he can simply measure them by holding up two fingers and measure them um, with a span. Incredible. It says, who has enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure? Uh, basically saying he, is, he, can, he can carry all of the dust, all of the land that exists on our, in our world, he can carry it in a measure, which is a basket. Uh, then lastly, he says here, who has weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? And so we think of the great mountains, Everest, Kilimanjaro, and God can measure them. He can weigh them in a scale. So basically what we see here is God has, has measured um, the heavens, the stars. God has measured the water. God has measured the land, right? He has basically measured everything. And then he hits us with this question. He says, but who has measured the spirit of the Lord? God has measured everything. But he asks, who has measured the spirit of the Lord? And of course, the answer is no one, right? Because as we've said, God is, is immeasurable. He is infinite. And here's the thing. Um, God is a being that exists without size. That is a hard, hard thing for us as finite humans uh, to wrap our mind around. God is infinite. 
And he exists without size. And so we have to be careful uh, not to limit God and to uh, guard our minds of, of, of making our God too small. Um, by thinking of him as maybe like this being that exists um, here on earth and he then uh, extends out up into the sky and then he extends up into space and then he extends out into heaven and then he continues to extend out into this like infinite space and that's the size of our God. But that's not true. Certainly he has filled this place with his presence. But we cannot limit God to that. Because here's the reality. Uh, as I've already mentioned, um, God, he created space. God created space. He exists outside of space. Before Genesis 1-1, when God created the heavens and the earth, there was no space. It was only God. And so we ask, before Genesis 1-1, where was God? And the answer um, that some theologians give is he was everywhere and he was nowhere at the same time. He was. Or as God would say, I am. Who can measure the spirit of the Lord? No one can. Behold your God and be in awe. And then we see as we look to these next, uh, uh, this next verse, we see that our, our God, he is, he is self-sufficient. And he is also all-knowing. And this is what Isaiah says in verse 14. It says, Whom did he consult? And whom made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Um, he asks, who taught, God asks, uh, who taught me this? Who showed me this? Who, who did I consult about this? And the answer, of course, is no one. Um, how different are we, right? We, we are constantly learning each and every day. Even before we're born, we're learning uh, in the womb. And we're largely dependent upon others uh, to learn things, right? But not so with our God. God has never learned one thing ever. You hear the phrase, learn something new every day, right? Not so with God. He knows all things, and he has known all things uh, for eternity. His knowledge, it never increases. It never decreases. His knowledge is infinite. He never forgets. He knows all things, and he knows all things not because he learned them. He knows all things because he is their origin. Because he is their origin. And so we ask, well, what all does God know? Right? We see from Psalm 139, he absolutely knows everything about you and about me. He knows when we sit. He knows when we rise. He knows uh, when we sleep. He knows when we're awake. He knows what we say. He knows what we do. He knows what we think. Uh, he knows the number of hairs on our head, which is more for some than others. Right? God knows all these things, not only about you and about me, but he knows all these things about all six billion people on the earth all at once. Like I said before, I have four kids. I have a hard time keeping track of four, right, and knowing what's going on with them. But our almighty God, he knows every detail of what's happening with every person, six billion all at once. And it's crazier than that. Not only does he know all things present, 
God knows all things past and all things future with equal vividness, right? And so uh, God knows what you had for breakfast today, February 26. He knows what you had for breakfast on February 26, 1984. And he knows what you will have for breakfast uh, on February 26 and 2029. This is our, our, our great God. He knows all things. He knows exactly what you're walking through right now. He knows the challenges you are facing. Uh, behold our God. From verse 15 through kind of verse 24, uh, we see that Isaiah, he continues to compare God uh, to, um, the, the, to the world and to rulers and to things uh, of nature. And then he kind of summarizes it in verse 25 with this thought. He says, To whom then will you compare me, that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Now we love to compare as humans, right? And we can make a comparison of just about anything in this world. I mean, I can ask you, um, who's better, MJ or LeBron, right? We can make that comparison. I can say Chick-fil-A or PDQ, right? Um, I can say Batman or Superman, um, I can say Journey or REO Speedwagon, right? Which one is greater? So we can compare just about everything in this world. But God says, who will you then compare me to that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Because God is holy, which means set apart. And we've seen that he's set apart in his greatness. He's set apart in his knowledge. He's set apart in his power. He's set apart in his care, right? And then Isaiah leaves us with one last um, picture from nature to help us understand his greatness in verse 26. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name. By the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. And so obviously Isaiah is referring to the stars, right? And God uh, asks, um, Others worship these stars, but it is I who created these. Uh, I call them out by name and by number, and I bring them out by my power so that not one is missing. And he brings up this, this, this thought, this idea, that he brings them out by number, right? And so he asks the question, man, how many stars are there in existence? Well, like I said, we can make a comparison to just about anything, right? And scientists have compared the number of stars that exist to the amount of grains of sand on the earth, right? Contemplate that for a moment. Uh, that probably has even bigger impact for us living in Florida, right? Because I moved here about a year ago from Illinois, and I used to think in Florida that sand was only at the beach, you know what I'm saying? And now I've moved here, and I realize, man, it is everywhere. It's in the parking lot. It's in my yard. It's in my car. It's in my house. Like, it is absolutely everywhere. But scientists say it's, it's actually not really that close, the amount of grains of sand compared to the number of stars. Um, there are actually considerably more stars, they say. Um, the comparison they give is, is for every grain of sand that exists on our earth, Ten stars uh, are up in the skies and in the heavens. 
And so the next time you, you go to, to Clearwater Beach or, or go to the beach, pick up a handful of sand, let the grains flow through your hand, realize for every grain there are ten stars in the, in the sky, and behold your God and be in awe. And we have to ask, why would God make so many? Um, I think primarily not so much to make us feel small, but to show us how great he actually is. And then our second point today, and, and much quicker, um, as we kind of uh, wrap up today, uh, we see our need to wait upon the Lord, to wait upon the Lord and to allow him to renew our strength. And so uh, we'll see in verse 27 that Isaiah knows the Israelites, they're struggling, as I've mentioned. They're even questioning the goodness of their God. This is what it says. This is what he says. Uh, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? And so here they are. They feel like their way is hidden from the Lord. They feel like um, their struggle has been completely disregarded by God. And Isaiah responds to them with a question. He says, verse 28, Have you not known... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And so he says, you feel like God doesn't know? You feel like God doesn't care? Uh, Behold your God. Know that he is infinite. He is the creator. He has no beginning. He has no end. There is no limit to his knowledge. There is no limit to his power. Behold your God. And then he hits them in these last few verses, which are pretty well-known and famous verses. He hits them um, with a real kind of uh, practical way for both the Israelites and for us to unlock the power and strength of God in our lives, especially when we're struggling. This is what he says in verse 29. He says, He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, He increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Here it is, verse 31. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And so in this life, all of us at times, we will grow faint. We will grow weary. Whether it's through difficult circumstances or whatever it may be. That's going to happen to us. And we are in desperate need for the strength of God to renew us and come into our lives. How does that happen? The text says, those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. It's those who who hope in the Lord. It's those who trust in the Lord. It's those that wait on Him. They know that their God is mighty. They know that He's coming with might. They know that He's in control. They know that he understands. They know that he cares. And as they know this and they wait and they hope and they trust, God replaces their weariness with strength. And see, it's it's as we understand and behold the greatness of our God that his power and his strength is unlocked and unleashed in our lives and we are renewed. And so, how do we increase our trust? 
How do we increase our hope? That's what we've been talking about all day, right? It's by beholding our God. And so do you find yourself in a place right now where you are, are weak, where you are faint, where you are, are weary? Remember that your great God, he holds the waters in the palm of his hand. He created the stars. He brings them out by name and by number. He holds the dust of the earth in a basket. He measures the mountains on a scale. He knows all things. He is infinite. He is immeasurable. He is great. Behold your God. Trust in him. Hope in him. Wait for him, and he will renew your strength. Let's pray. Father, we, we praise you, Lord, for, for being far greater than we could ever know or comprehend. Far greater. We praise you, God, for being a God that um, not only knows and not only um, has power, but being a God that cares. And we, we know, Lord, that in your goodness and that in your sovereignty, your word promises that regardless of how difficult what we may be going through right now, you know and you are working through those circumstances for your glory and for our joy. And so may we as your sons and daughters, may we trust our Father May we believe without a shadow of a doubt that you know that you are good, that you are in control, and that you are choosing what is best for us in this moment, as hard as it might seem. May we know that our struggle, it is not wasted. It is not wasted. You are revealing more of who you are to us into our world so that we may grow in your likeness for your glory and for our joy. May we wait upon you, Lord. May we trust in you. We pray these things in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.